0: I would
1: say good morning to Greg, but your morning did not get off to a good start. As you learned, not not carrying cash sometimes
2: is detrimental. Folly, in fact. (laughs) (laughs) I went to three different Tim Hortons to get my steep tea. (sighs) Sorry, uh, our interact's not working today. Oh, really? Are you kidding me? So, yeah, and I usually carry a little bit of change, couple tuning, nothing. Like, absolutely nothing. So I'm working without steep tea today. I had to turn to the orange juice out of the vending machine. So if I'm off my game, I'm blaming... In track. Well, doesn't our fancy Keurig thing make tea or whatever? Very specific tea taste here. It's either red rose tea or oh. steep tea from Tim Hortons, and that's about it.
1: Oh, okay. No, hey, that's fair. You, you know what you like? And I you like, like what, what you what, know.
2: Uh, that's exactly what I say. <laughs> <laughs> boy, oh boy, we're becoming a couple. Oh boy. <laughs> Uh, What a great way! What a great end to the NHL trade deadline yesterday. The Winnipeg Jets picking up a player who'd been the apple of their eye about four years ago. Paul Stastny coming to Winnipeg, a player that most people didn't even know was available, coming to the Jets uh, at a time when they are as good as they've ever been. This is very exciting. Jets fans are overjoyed over. Uh, what took place yesterday when it looked like the Jets might get shut out of getting any big-name players. I was reading at Governor Semple School yesterday morning uh, with Faith Akakadi from the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, and I could feel my phone buzzing, buzzing away, blowing up, as they say. <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself, something just happened with the Jets. I could just tell by the number of messages I was getting, and one of the teachers said, the Jets just got Paul Stastny! (laughs) Really? Yes! Now you say
1: the the apple of their eye, this
2: is a player that the team coveted four years ago? Yes, when he became a free agent when he left Colorado, the Jets, uh, threw rumored to be anywhere between 7 and $8 million a year at Paul Stastny to come to Winnipeg. Uh, St. Louis was sort of his home where he grew up. He's the son of Peter Stastny, a lot of old-time NHL uh, fans uh, will recognize Stastny. uh, There were three different uh, Marion Anton and Peter Stastny played together for the Quebec Nordiques back in the day. Peter Stastny ended up finishing his career in St. Louis, I believe. And uh, that's where Paul was born, and so that's sort of his hometown. And well, lo and behold, here comes Paul Stastny to Winnipeg. He wore number 26 in honor of his dad. He's going to wear number 25 here. Worn by Thomas Steen. Well, guess who Paul Stastny's best friend on the St. Louis Blues is Alexander Steen, Thomas Steen's son. Oh, wow. So, there you go. A little nepotism in hockey. Uh, jets play the Predators tonight. <laughs> and, uh, boy, oh, boy, it's going to feel like a playoff game uh, downtown tonight. But, really, I'm actually... Uh, if I don't show up for work tomorrow, it's oh, because boy. I'm going to the game tonight. <laughs> oh, you're and going? I just, I just may slip, sleep right through the shift tomorrow morning.
1: Yeah, well, I'm just uh, pulling up the standings here. Where... Okay, so when you go to the NHL's website, NHL.com, it defaults to wildcard standings. But looking at the in the Western Conference, I see Nashville is in first place in the Central Division with eighty-five points, and the Winnipeg Jets right behind with
2: eighty-three. Correct, sir. Ooh, very exciting. How many games left? There are twenty games left for the Jets. Three of those are against Nashville including tonight's game. So, yeah, they're going to have essentially a little bit of a mini playoff series within that final 20 games with three games head-to-head that will go an awful long way in determining who finishes first in the Central Division. Yeah, very exciting times, and of course, Exciting times for the Blue Bombers, our second winter special last night. Bob Irving, cast of Thousands, we'll recap that for you in Breakfast with the Bombers at 7.37. All sorts of exciting things going on in sport here in Winnipeg. No shortage of discussion around uh, the coffee table, you know, the break room table, the water cooler, or if you're going out for coffee or breakfast this morning, lots of stuff to talk about.
1: Yeah, even my dad said to me yesterday, hey, the Winnipeg Jets made some moves. And I looked at him and I said, excuse me? <laughs> you never talk to me about hockey. This is one of the reasons why I, I like to call it ice hockey. I'm not a hockey fan because we're not a hockey family. Right. And uh, yeah, even my dad's... Smash Gordon's getting in on the interest uh, as the the Jets are he's, are the real deal. You know they're what is it fourth place overall in the league in the league. That's not something I think I've ever seen. Before. No,
2: this is unprecedented. And uh, if you're watching any of the wrap up shows last night on any of the major sport networks last Sorry, night. Fifth. Yeah, fifth. No, uh fifth now. Yeah, Fourth bo- yesterday. Yeah. Oh, who's stuck ahead of them? Toronto or Boston?
1: It uh, looks like it might be Toronto, yeah. Toronto? Toronto oh, now it. has 84 points. Ah, uh,
2: yes. Okay, I have a bet with Matt Cardy that the Jets will play longer into the spring than the Maple Leafs will, oh, our boy. former colleague here who's now with Global Down in southwestern Ontario. Uh, I was about to say to you what exactly. We were talking about the Jets, talking about where they are. Fourth, fifth overall. Yep. My dad's
1: interested. Yep. Uh, usually
2: isn't interested. Yeah, I don't know where I was going to go. Oh. Bottom line is this is super exciting. And, oh, yes, the, uh, the sport channels, many of the pundits now, clearly saying that the jets are if not the favorite for the Stanley Cup they are one of four or five or six teams at most that should be considered favorites for the Stanley Cup lots of people outright picking the jets to win the cup wow right now i think we can you know all echo the sentiments of blake wheeler from about 10 days ago let's pump the brakes here a little bit but it's obviously exciting for for lots of fans right now
1: well yeah especially for many winnipeggers who have Never seen the team even win a playoff series. Hundred percent. Yeah. So yep. That's uh, uh it, it. I'm not. A, like I said, I'm not a hockey you guy, but I'm a. You look excited
2: talking about I it. I am
1: excited. I, I love remember it. the last round of playoff fever, and it was just going over to the mall. You know, walk next door to Polo Park here, and you see people with so many people wearing Jets stuff. Uh, you you couldn't go anywhere in the city it was very exciting so yeah of course you don't have to be a sports fan to get excited when your teams as you mentioned the Bombers as well when the Bombers made their run last year uh, when the Jets make their run when the Gold Eyes when the Moose have their success of course you want your teams to do well because they're representing your city and you know it's great for Winnipeg.
2: Well look at the Gold Eyes uh, wrapped up September with the championship you've got the Moose who are in the top three or four in the American Hockey League the Jets are in the top uh, five in the National Hockey Hockey League and the Blue Bombers, by all accounts, should be one, two, or three in the CFL this season. So it could be a fairly unprecedented 12 or 13 months here in Winnipeg. Not saying any or all those teams are going to win championships, but they're going to be in the hunt. Mm hmm. Mackling and McGarry, it's a Tuesday morning. Thank you, Jerry. Lots of Canadians standing on top of the world after their performance at the Olympic Games in Pyeongchang. Two of those athletes returned home to Winnipeg last night. Very exciting times without question. You know, uh, I wish I would have been at the airport yesterday. Christian O'Mell got back from holidays, sees all these people gathered, he goes, I was missed. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. He's Brad, I'm Greg. But uh, last night on Stephen Colbert on uh, Global Television last night, one of your favorites and one of mine, Jennifer Lawrence, stopped by for a visit, Brett. Yeah. And uh, did they break out the rumba?
1: Yeah, there was one point where she takes a sip of the coffee mug in front of her and says, is this mine? <laughs> and he says, well, find out. So she takes a sip, and then this happened.
3: Would you like, uh, would you like a drink? Okay. Sure.
4: I keep,
5: I've never, Whoa, d- really? I've never done this plan before. This.
3: How does this open?
5: Okay, you're just messing with...
1: Okay, so what he's doing right now is he has... He's reaching in behind him. He's got this, like, wood paneling. On the wall. Right. And he's kind of knocking on them to see how like to see if it pops open. <laughs> a secret panel somewhere. And then he slides one over and he pulls out this bottle of, of a Havana Club. And I had to do some some sleuthing and pausing of the YouTube and press. If you press pause it on YouTube on your computer and press the comma key, that goes back frame by frame. Right. And the forward key or the period key moves it forward. It's a Havana Club rum that I've never heard of. It's Havana Club. Hang on. Seleccion de maestros.
2: Ooh, sounds fancy schmancy.
1: It it is fancy schmancy. I found it on a website here called the Whiskey Exchange. It's listed at fifty-three pounds. Um, I think, and I found another website in Canada that puts it at about a $90 bottle of rum.
2: I was gonna do, I was doing about one and a half, so yeah, yeah. okay, yeah, 90 bucks, hey, eh?
1: that's a good rum,
2: uh, you think, mm-hmm.
1: yeah, so anyway, <laughs> is that on your uh, Christmas list now? Uh, if I can find it, I don't think they sell it in Manitoba, so here's the rest of that exchange. Oh, hang on, yeah,
5: the one? now everybody knows that I'm one. Oh my god, you really do have it,
1: <laughs> so she's surprised. That he's got a bottle of alcohol.
5: This will work. Do, do you this will help bring my soul back. I know it. There. Cool.
3: This is. I keep a little something back there in case somebody wants something. But in no case
5: someone's having a mental breakdown. But this no is one's perfect. ever
3: really wanted a drink before. Wait, really? I've never done this. Yeah,
5: I, mean, I don't ever. Oh, do Would you this. like? This is Cuban so, rum in case yeah.
3: you want a oh, little. Oh, it's rum. Yeah. First of all, oh, it's
0: rum. She didn't sound
1: impressed at all. <laughs> no. Okay, but let's find out how she reacted. I have oh,
3: bourbon.
5: <laughs>
6: I, I have
3: bourbon. Yeah, it
5: was. Ex- it's fine. It's, okay. you know what? It's alcohol. There you go. Okay.
1: So she takes a sip here, and then she kind of has a. You know, that Thank sort
5: you of so
3: much. Oh
1: he made her just down it. She took a sip. But he shotgunned his. So she <laughs> exactly. loved his back. She had to reciprocate. Yeah. So uh she didn't see it. She didn't like it. That would be an excellent rum. For that price, that's a good one.
2: Yeah, but if you're not into rum, normally rum does have a very distinctive, it's the I think probably the molasses, right? Yeah, uh, have a distinctive sort of flavor. No, that's fair, yeah. You know, so if you're not into it, I'm not really a rum guy. I mean, it, it's an alcohol of last resort, depending on where I am, but <laughs> <laughs> I won't throw it away. I won't turn it down, but it's not my first choice. So that's when you're having a lol situation, <laughs> a lack of liquor? Lack of liquor, a genuine lol situation. So uh, Red Sparrow, supposed to be good film or no?
1: Uh, the early, well, it looks pretty cool. Let me just have a quick peek here to see what the early buzz on that is. Uh, it's at 64% right now at Rotten Tomatoes, so... That is likely, if I if I had to guess, that's likely to go down. Mm. I don't know. We'll see. I like Jennifer Lawrence. Uh, I don't know. I'm curious to see her in this kind of a role as a menacing sort of character because she's proven she can do anything, really. But I don't know that I've seen her in, in that specific a role yet.
2: So. Well, she, she totally just envelops herself in the role, right? And you you really believe that she is who she's portraying. At least that's my interpretation of any film I've seen with her. And uh, she's sort of lamented and released the fact over the last few days that she's done some nudity for this film, which is something she's never done before either, as I understand. So, um, I mean, not that that would uh, prompt me to go see the film by any stretch of the imagination, but she just kind of suggested that she felt very connected to this role and was prepared to do what was necessary to portray it.
1: And another thing that, that happened recently is she did a photo shoot with her male cast. So it was her and four guys and they were on a rooftop and it was, I believe this was in London and it was cold. And, the guys were all wearing winter gear, you know, gloves and nice jackets. not parkas because it wasn't parka weather, but it was cold. And she, meanwhile, is wearing this kind of slinky black gown that's so her shoulders are exposed, her neckline is exposed, and it's one of those gowns that has a big long slit, so her leg is exposed. So people were saying, oh, sure, the guys get to dress up, but Lawrence has to wear this skimpy dress. And she says, hang on. We were outside for five minutes, and did you really think I wanted to cover that dress up with a jacket? No. There you go. Yeah.
2: She's actually called uh, uh, the uh, nudity that she's done in this movie empowering. And that was after there was that, uh, those nude photos of her that were leaked onto the internet. Mm-hmm. And she feels as though that, that this was an opportunity to take some of that power back away from those that took the power away from her, the control over her own image. Oh, wow. Good for her. Yeah, yeah she's, for uh, her. she's She's a something lot of fun. Else, eh?
1: Yeah, she's a lot of fun. She's really, every late night host, I think, over the years has their kind of go-to guest. And she's sort of become a go-to guest for all of them really
2: isn't that the, the, wow uh, yeah they all like having her on yeah she's uh i especially
1: like it when she and i forget this guy's name all the time he's a british talk host uh he has a red set and uh he often gets they because they they're or in
2: in great britain yeah oh uh and they drink right <laughs> yeah and it's only on once a week is Come it Graham something? Yes, it is. It Graham is Norton. Graham Norton. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. That is a. If you get an opportunity to watch Graham Norton, that is. I discovered that Jackie and I were on holidays one year, and we found it and watched like back to back to back episodes, mm-hmm. and uh, just yeah, that's a, that's a ton of fun. Uh, one of our favorite guests, Caitlin Laws. And Caitlin Laws uh, returned to Winnipeg uh, yesterday. She won the gold medal in the mixed doubles curling. Greeted by cheers at Winnipeg's Richardson International Airport. Here's some audio.
7: It's so special to be able to come home and see all my friends and family. And yeah, it's uh, it's been an amazing ride.
0: Can you compare the, the two Olympic gold medals?
7: No, I definitely can't compare. I mean, Both experiences have been absolutely surreal to be a part of the Team Jones for eight years now and to see the hard work that those women have put into it. I I can't be here for the second one without them. And it was a a dream come true to be able to come back from thinking that we weren't going to have a chance to be at the Games this year. It was an honor to represent our country and to bring home the medal for everyone here at home. It's so special, and I can't wait to share it with everyone.
2: Also, on that same flight, silver medalist in hockey, Bridget Laquette of Mallard, Manitoba. She arrived to a similar hero's welcome.
5: I'm super excited. Um, you know, and honestly, it was a, definitely such an honor to represent my country. Not only my country, but you know, the First Nations people across Canada—it it is very special for me. Thank you.
8: My first Olympics, and, and it was pretty
5: surreal. It was, you know, I remember going on my first game, and and I had the chills, and it was—it was just like a dream. It was a dream come true, and um, it was definitely very special. You know, it, it was a tough game when when we didn't uh, we didn't win, but you know, it—it's definitely all the support from across Canada definitely helped.
2: It's Mackling and McGarry in the morning. So, as we've been mentioning, Olympic athletes returning home, Manitoba athletes, and right across the country, Olympians arriving home from South Korea. And one Canadian athlete has uh, drawn some ire on social media, which isn't exactly difficult to do. Let's confess that and let's make that clear right off the bat here. Chanelie Vidal, Christian Aumel. Jeff Braun and Behind the Glass Jerry joining uh, myself, Craig Mackling, and Brett McGarry. We're going to have coffee and, and, and talk about this. Sebastian Touton, his tweet, was it entitled or amusing? He's a snowboarder, picked up Golden in Pyeongchang, and tweeted a photo of his medal along with his boarding pass featuring Zone 2. What did the caption say, Brett?
1: Two days ago, I won a gold medal for Canada, and today I'm flying 57 a on an Air Canada flight, what a great Olympic partner! Hashtag sarcasm. So it's a joke,
2: right? Yeah, but people didn't take it that way. Even though he, well, put, why is that his problem? He That's puts, their problem. Put sarcasm right joke. in the tweet. Yeah, and uh, he's since deleted the tweet, which may be a mistake on his part. And well, except he's, he's apologized. I thought we've
0: haven't we been over this? You're not supposed to take a picture of your boarding pass and put it on the internet. Can't they steal your identity that way? Mm, yeah, I oh. remember the. Remember really? the boarding pass thing? That's right. We did yeah. a story on that a couple months yeah. ago. Oh. Jeff Braun. I so guess, the newsman you to the rescue. That's why he should delete the tweet, not because he made a. Yeah,
2: joke but that, here's here's but look at the picture. Yeah, he's just got a little just well, a tiny on, click corner. Click on the picture. Oh, this is, this is great, theater? radio guys. Yeah, Uh, okay. Yeah, never mind
1: if you want to see the picture you can look at uh, Drex's Twitter uh, at Drex Drex from the shift heard uh, midnight till 4 a.m. Here on six or till 5 a.m. on 680 CJOB before what's brewing with producer Kyle So we're just curious to know if he is entitled or if this is amusing so Ron, you clearly don't have a I think with it's
0: it. a joke, but I also think he's got a good point. Like, every last one of those athletes, gold medal or not, should be flown back home on first class. That's what I say. Wow. Big whoop. They're all like, just tossed they Olympians, one plane. for God's sakes. Let them, uh, give, them give them a nice well, ride, at least. But how many flights do you're going to need to take to get all those medals in the first class? Figure it out. Chanelie, <laughs> <laughs> what do you think?
5: Uh, well, I think that. Uh, Sometimes you really have to think before you post something, especially nowadays and when you're representing a country and a lot of people are looking at you. And I think he probably meant it as a little tongue in cheek, but it definitely didn't come off that way. It did come off as very entitled. And let's face it, Air Canada, I mean, they they shouldn't have to provide first class seats for all of the athlete, I mean, athletes. I mean, I know it is is a great thing they're doing, representing our country. But they're a sponsor, and they're providing those seats for free. So um, they can't. They they would be losing a lot of money if they're if they're sticking all of the athletes in first class. So so. They're losing some profit there. So you have to look at that way. And he got zone two.
2: What does that mean?
5: The, oh, okay. So when you're lining up to get, out, get on get on on the plane, right? They, yeah. they they won't just let you on. They they board by zone. So they start with like they start with like, you know, um, you know, people with little kids and who need assistance, then they go to like zone one and then sometimes it can go up to zone five. So if you're getting on zone two, that's pretty good. You're going to have access to make sure that you get all of your luggage in those overhead racks before it's all taken up. He got a window seat. That's pretty sweet.
1: Okay. That's interesting. I, I'm i of sort of two minds on this. I think I understand his, his joke because he's thinking, okay, Air Canada is the... The partner here, they're the supporter. I've got a gold medal. If there's one time in his life to be entitled, I think it's that moment, the return flight home. Give him a business class seat. But... As has been pointed out, we send a large contingent of athletes, and are we going to pick and choose between? Oh, you get a gold medal, you get business class. Oh, silver medal, sorry.
0: One <laughs> Me- yeah, seat fair. in row sixty-five.
1: <laughs> Bronze <laughs> medal, there's
0: space in the cargo bay for you.
1: You <laughs> get paid for a
3: gold medal.
2: You do. That's you true. get like twenty thousand
3: bucks. So why not? Why not also get if, an if, upgrade if on you, your oh, flight back? The
2: curling
0: teams have to take a boat back. <laughs> <laughs> they just got a canoe (laughs)
2: when you when you type in there hashtag sarcasm like is there any any room left for humor anymore in our society as as it pertains
3: to social media like give me a break when i first heard about this i was i was said oh you know what, the guy's just joking around big deal then when you actually look at the tweet, them. Yeah, I don't think though, he's joking. He's not joking. No. He, he's like, "Oh, great sponsor, thanks." That's what. That's how I read it. That's, yeah, that's that's yeah. the yeah, sarcasm
0: exactly. there. Really? Yeah, yep. no, that's how it, I read it. One hundred percent.
5: It was. It was very. It was very cheeky. It, it kind of makes like it makes us look bad as Canadians. It makes him look like he. Very unappreciative. Wow.
0: That's how I read it.
2: He's saying, oh, a great partner. Yeah. I wish I had a first class upgrade. See, I don't. When I see sarcasm, I take people sort of at their word. I I tend to tweet out sarcastic things myself like yesterday afternoon (laughs) around three o'clock yesterday afternoon. I tweeted out, come on Chevy, do something, which is a, a popular cry and refrain from from Jets fans who think that uh, Kevin Shovel Dayoff doesn't do anything to improve the Jets. But well, people
0: took it as, oh, but, it, but
9: Greg, he did do stuff. What yeah, are you talking about? Uh,
2: weren't you paying attention? And it's like, okay, uh, you just, there's no room for it uh, without the hashtag sarcasm. But the, even when you put it in there, you get like But sarcasm tasted.
1: doesn't, sarcasm isn't just a form of comedy. If you look it up by definition, the use of irony to mock or convey
0: contempt.
1: Okay. So Towards it's not it. just for, it's not just to say, ha, okay, ha, I'm the, telling a joke. But I don't All see right. a
0: guy that just won a gold medal being upset about hardly anything this week. Right. That is so fresh in his mind. He is on cloud nine like you wouldn't believe that he actually gives two hoots of where, where he sits on an airplane, which he's going to sleep for the next eight hours anyways. I don't think it matters. Uh I don't know. I I think he probably wanted that uh wanted I don't think you, I, I don't think you can win a gold medal if you have that crappy an attitude towards the little things in life. You've got to be a winner on the inside to get that gold medal and those kind of people don't Tell them, Jeff about airplanes. Wow. Seats. All I know is when I won a novice hockey title back in the day in Terra, Ontario. Really? I still have to sit in the back seat coming home. (laughs) Come on, Dad, two scoops of ice cream tonight. (laughs) (laughs)
1: 656 on 680, CJOB, Chanelie Vidal, Christian Omel, Jeff Braun, and behind the glass, Jerry, thank you very much. You can text us what you think at 780 6868. Was Sebastian Touton being entitled or just joking
2: around? Ah, yes, it's time to have Breakfast with the Bombers, brought to you by the Cooperators. Find an advisor at cooperators.ca, a better place for you. Last night, Bob Irving and a cast of thousands, well, a little bit of exaggeration, came together to talk football, Canadian football in general, and the Winnipeg Blue Bombers in particular.
1: It was edition two of the Blue Bomber Winter Special. As excitement continues to build for the 2018 CFL season, Bomber fans are excited to see if the Blue and Gold can continue to do what they have done over the past two seasons get better. Expectations within the Blue Bomber organization would seem to match those of the fans. CFL free agency began on February 13th, and the Blue Bombers were very
2: active in acquiring players who played elsewhere. Last year, two of those players came with Canadian passports and Manitoba birth certificates. Running back Keenan LaFrance and slot back Nick Dembski. Bob Irving laid out some expectations for Dembski
4: last night. Uh, Nick, I don't want to put any pressure on you, but uh, from watching you in university football, I think you got a chance to be a star in this league. Do you feel the same way?
8: I feel the same way. I mean, that's, that's what I'm striving to be. That's what I want to be. That's, that's, uh, you know, that's my motivation. So, you know, I'm, I'm going to do whatever it takes to get there. And, uh, you know, that's, that's why I'm so happy that the Winnipeg Blue Bombers give me this opportunity.
1: Paul Lapelise, Blue Bomber Offensive Coordinator, joined Bob to discuss bringing back a player the Bombers cut back in 2010 when Lapo was head coach of the Blue and Gold. That player, Darius Bowman.
6: He went through a period where he, he really struggled catching the football and, you know, we didn't want to get rid of him. We sat him down, and and then uh, there were just some things that came up that it was probably best to just kind of give him an opportunity to release him. And uh, I really didn't want to, but it kind of came down the pipe. That's that was what we have to do. And uh, so I, I knew that he would go somewhere else and get better, and, and it was great to see. And he's so good. He's, he's turned out to be such a great professional. And talking to him after we signed him, uh, you know, it's great to meet him, his, his wife, and he's expecting a child. And he's just such a more mature football player than 2010. Bowman went
2: on to become a star with Edmonton. He returns to Winnipeg after seven seasons in Alberta, if you need someone to do the math, after be, being given his outright release by the Eskimos. Bowman says he had more than returning to Winnipeg as options.
10: And it actually felt good on another scale to just see the interest that was from other teams. But at one moment we had uh, SAS, uh, BC, uh, Calgary made some interest, Toronto, Montreal, and then, uh, of course, uh, Winnipeg. So it was a few options.
4: And why Winnipeg, Adarius?
10: Uh, for me, once again, uh, I'm one of those guys that I think I I, I'm, I can be a better athlete, better self, better player. Better person when I'm around a good environment, and that's what I, I knew. Winnipeg had it already, but I've I've just heard around the league, and I'm I'm seeing the 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 fans, the atmosphere, and just everything that's been going on around there. And I was like, man, I would love to be a part of that. So it was uh it made it pretty simple. And then with the guys that y'all have over there, Matty Ice, uh. Andrew Harris, you know, that's a guy that I've really enjoyed watching over the years, and it would be nice to be on the same side with him. He's a a game changer. And uh, like I say, to get back with Coach Lapo and and Coach O'Shea, so I'm just excited to be there.
1: Bowman isn't the only former Blue Bomber that management would like to bring back into the fold. Canadian-born linebacker Henock Mwamba in Winnipeg as we speak. Bombers try to sell him on returning to the team he began his pro football career with in 2011. Bob asked head coach Mike O'Shea if he thought the Bombers could sign Mwamba.
6: I'm not sure. You know, honestly, we we we've had a chance to chat, and I think he's still, you know, got some questions he needs to get answered, and maybe not just from from the Bombers, you know. Um, so I'm sure whenever Enoch is ready to make a decision, he'll let everybody know.
4: He would. Uh be a nice ratio breaker. You lost Sam Hurl. You play another Canadian in there. Boy, it would be kind of ideal, wouldn't it?
6: Well, it certainly would give us uh, a lot of flexibility. We could, you know, on both sides of the ball and uh, game in and game out, we could um, we could make some different decisions. And, and uh, you know, that kind of flexibility certainly goes a long way as the season goes on. But, uh it, it's i think it's a little premature yet to mm. to pencil him in i think he's you know like i said he's got some other questions he wants answered probably for some other from other some other teams also
2: The Bombers added defensive lineman Craig Rowe and defensive back Chandler Fenner from the BC Lions in free agency Fenner chose the Bombers because he believes that they are on the verge of something big
8: I definitely see it that way and that's a big uh, consideration when you're going to sign with the team, and, like I was saying before, I feel like the stars are aligning um for this team and, I, and 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 Winnipeg, so I just think that between you know all the way from the top and Wade Miller and you know the the staff that they have there and the players, the roster that they're putting together for this twenty eighteen season, it just seems like and you can feel it that something big is coming, and I really wanted to be a part of that, and I was very honored that they wanted me to come and be a part of that as well, so something big is coming and this This team is on the verge, they're right on the edge, and all it takes is a little bit more, that little inch more, and we'll get there. The Lions
1: were one of three teams CFL Commissioner Randy Ambrose wanted to discuss as needing to up their game on the attendance front. For as healthy as the league is overall, Canada's three largest cities, Vancouver, Toronto, and Montreal, have the three lowest attendance totals. Our
3: ownership is very good clearly we've got work to do though and i think this is the point that we continue to emphasize and i emphasize uh, with my partners uh, at the governor's table like we have we've got to work harder than we've worked before we've got to drive a revenue plan like you and that's got to be driven off of an attendance strategy for those three major centers bob because it does have a material impact on perceptions in those communities. It has an effect on sponsorship revenue. And ultimately, I believe it has an impact on on TV ratings. Nothing like turning on a game and feeling the fandom coming through the set when, you know, when there's a, a full stadium and you know that feeling you get watching a game in that environment. So... You know, we have work to do. I don't think anybody should, you know, come to any conclusion that we're in a good spot. I think we've got the right team, the right owners. We've got great teams We're the game is as good as I've ever seen it. That I know for sure. But, boy, on the business side, we definitely have some work to do.
2: The Muamba watch will continue for the bombers and bomber fans alike, as will preparations for Mark CFL week coming up March twenty second to twenty fifth here in Winnipeg. A genuine opportunity for fans to rub elbows with fifty of the top players in the Canadian Football League. If you missed last night's special, it will be released as a Blue Bomber podcast later on today on iTunes, Google Play, and it's available now at cJb.com.
1: Our colleague at Global Television, Mitch Rossett, meanwhile, producing a 30-minute Blue Bomber special that will air this Saturday and Sunday. It will provide stories for the upcoming season, as well as some fun segments like Mitch working out with Andrew Harris and spending a day with Matthias Gosen.
2: Tuesday morning, Winnipeg school divisions are getting ready for their 2018-2019 budgets in the uh, coming weeks. And they need to present their financial plans to the city by March 15th so the so city can update its property tax information, then have the numbers ready for the province come April. Provinces ask school divisions to keep the special requirement taxes
1: on homeowners below a 2% increase for the Winnipeg School Division. That is not an easy request. The division has laid out three different options for its budget. And joining us now live on 680 CJOB is a school trustee in the Winnipeg School Division and Chair of Finance with the Winnipeg School Division Chris Broughton. Mr. Broughton, thank you for joining us this morning. Thank you for having me.
2: So what are these three different types of budgets that you've uh, compiled and and laid out?
7: Well, what we've done is we've i uh, taken uh, kind of three options, three uh, slightly different directions that uh, we could go as a board to present to the community, uh, really to demonstrate some of the uh, fiscal challenges that the Winnipeg School Division is facing. Uh, some of the options include kind of keeping things as they are, introducing some cuts, uh, or um, going beyond what the province has asked us to do uh, and introduce a, a 3% special requirement.
1: Now, Chris, the, uh, the province is asking school divisions to keep the special requirement tax below a 2% increase. Is that something that is feasible for your division?
7: The, the challenge for us is that uh, education has been facing cuts for many years. Uh, At one point, uh, the province spent 5% of GDP on education, and now we're down below 3%. And with that, um, the province has announced just $6 million in additional funding for education for every school division across the province. And because we've been facing cuts year over year, we've gotten to a point where a lot of our critical maintenance that's been deferred over the years uh, is coming due. Uh, we simply can't wait any longer to do some of the the building maintenance that uh, we need to keep our buildings operational and running. Uh, so to keep, keep the schools open, uh, there's some work to be done. And if we want to do that work, replace uh, fire alarm systems as an example, um, we're going to have to get creative and we're either going to have to make some staffing cuts and and lower potentially the quality of education or uh, we're going to have to uh, have a conversation with the province to demonstrate uh, really how difficult um, that 2% special requirement is for us. And the reality is, is The province has already raised everyone's property taxes this year um, by uh, signaling that they're phasing out the tax incentive grant.
2: Well, Chris, uh, we're going to have to leave it there. Lots more to discuss on this, and we'll keep in touch with you as uh, these budgets and these uh, requests move forward with the city. We appreciate you taking time with us this morning.
1: Chris Brown, Winnipeg School Division Chair of Finance, as well as a school trustee.
2: Today's federal budget is not expected to balance the books. A lot of people don't love that. It's also unlikely to show a revised timeline for erasing the deficit, which the liberals had originally promised to do by 2019. Instead, Finance Minister Bill Morneau's budget is expected to include initiatives on gender equality and major investments in scientific research, environmental conservation, and in child welfare and housing for Indigenous communities.
1: It is also expected to include money to build and operate a federal computer system aimed at ending the no-fly list, mismatches that have... Seen many innocent travelers, including dozens of kids, endure long airport delays. To find out what the city of Winnipeg hopes to see in the federal budget, we are joined by City councillor for St. James, Brooklyn's Weston, Scott Gillingham, who is also the chair of the Standing Policy Committee on Finance. joins us live this morning on CJOB. Mr. Gillingham, good morning
2: to
8: you, sir. Uh, good morning, Greg and Brett.
2: Hey, Councillor, uh, I don't see in that long preamble there anything uh, specifically for cities. Is that a concern
8: for you? Well, there has been you know there are ongoing and new federal funds for cities that will that help to fund cities' infrastructure. I know that our mayor uh, advocates for the city on a regular basis, and he works with his colleagues in the big city mayor's caucus. I spoke to him recently, and I know that he, you know, uh, just not that long ago, uh, with his colleagues, met with uh, Finance Minister Bill Morneau. What they really tried to impress upon the finance minister is that the funds that are available would flow to cities quicker. Sometimes, sometimes there's a lag between when the funding is announced and when cities apply for the funding, and you know, and and the time that the cities actually get the funding. So, a quicker processing of the funds to cities is something that uh, certainly I know our mayor has advocated for, and I'll be looking for uh, in this budget. What are
1: you looking for then uh, in terms of specifics? Are you hoping to see anything? Like, do you have a wish list?
8: Well, I think that, you know, there's ongoing infrastructure needs. We talk about that on a regular basis here at the city. When we talk to residents of the city of Winnipeg, they continue to say that uh, infrastructure is the priority of the citizens of Winnipeg. Uh, we reflect that in our budgets by, you know, uh, investing record levels into infrastructure. So programs, funding programs from the federal government that continue to invest in the city's infrastructure are, are uh, programs that certainly I'd like to see continue and, and strengthen even. Uh,
2: Councillor Gillingham, are all uh, infrastructure projects contingent upon a three-level or a tri-party or a tri-level agreement? Are there any initiatives that uh, may take place directly between the city and the federal government?
8: Um, I'd... I, I'd have to take a look. Uh, Most of the big ones certainly are, you know, by necessity, tri-level funding agreements. So, uh, you know, we have the federal government, provincial government, and the city uh, all being funding partners. Um, I think it's really important. You know, the relationship is really important, uh, the relationship between the the city and the province and the federal government. That's why, you know, we, we have ongoing dialogue with both of those levels of government. That's why I know our mayor, Mayor Bowman, is a strong advocate, a strong voice for the citizens of Winnipeg to uh, ensure that the needs of Winnipeg uh, and the concerns, if there are any of Winnipeg, are communicated to both uh, federal and provincial governments.
2: The reason I ask that is there seems to be a a reduced commitment to infrastructure spending by this provincial government. and, And does that create a concern?
8: Well, we know that this provincial government was elected on a mandate to, you know, to use the phrase, get their fiscal house in order. And, and they've they've been doing that and, and, and they can appreciate that. Um, but it necessitates ongoing conversation with the provincial government to ensure that they know the city's priorities and the city's needs. And uh, we work really hard at, at having those, uh, you know, lines of communication continue to open with, with the provincial uh, government. Right now, you know, we've been impressing upon them. Uh, an ask for an accelerated regional road funding, 182 million that we've uh, that the federal government has made available to Manitoba. It's to go to to cities and municipalities. We have asked uh, you know that uh, 182 million of that be allocated to the city of Winnipeg for uh, you know to to put into our regional roads. Those are important trade routes and trade corridors. Uh, but again, that's all based upon our conversations, ongoing conversations with the. Uh, with the provincial and, and with the federal government.
1: Councillor Gillingham, uh, what happens in the event that you don't quite get what you were looking for? Do you already have kind of a contingency plan in place or have you begun developing a contingency plan or do you wait to see what the feds do before you move forward?
8: Um, if you're talking specifically the infrastructure, you know, we, we do have uh, every year we adopt a balanced budget Um the city adopts a balanced budget in that balance budget it also includes um you know capital plans for for infrastructure projects or wastewater projects uh, all the different capital projects that we have we identify funding sources in 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 all of those uh, in all those projects and so the city still moves ahead and uh we we find ways to move ahead with uh you know if, if the funding is not there or not there to the levels that that uh, that we're requiring however uh, you know, what's, what's really, really important is, uh, is that ongoing dialogue and impressing upon both the federal and provincial governments the needs of the city um, and the, um, the uh, you know, needs, needs for new infrastructure and then needs for existing infrastructure to be, uh, to be built as well.
2: Well, the continuing conversation will be very intriguing, uh, both uh, between you and the province, you and the federal government, and uh, right here on uh, 680 CJB, Councillor Gillingham, thank you very much for your time this morning.
8: Thank you.
1: All right, Scott Gillingham joining us today on six eighty CJOB. He is Councillor St James, Brooklyn's Weston, and the chair of the Standing Policy Committee on Finance. Now, as far as the federal budget is concerned, the uh, the federal budget not expected to balance the books, nor is it likely to include a revised timeline for erasing the deficit, which the Liberals initially. Pledged to do by 2019, so that's the kind of thing that makes him go, "Well, so much for keeping promises." I think this is one of the many reasons why I tend to have a disconnect from government, why I tend to have a disconnect from politics, because it's just it's all such empty stuff when they make these promises. You know that they they make these promises, and it's just going to get broken. But there are some really interesting things in this budget as well. Focus uh, one of the key priorities for the Trump Prime Minister. Could also mean federal dollars to help close the gender wage gap in federally regulated workplaces. And that just, that really bothers me that we, that, how does this happen? How do we have a wage gap? It just, and I'm not asking that question like, oh, I don't know, understand That How does this exist? But it just seems so shameful to me that uh, this is something that we're still talking about in 2018.
2: It is shameful that it hasn't been closed, that it hasn't been something that's been left in the rearview mirror, right? And to be still discussing this and to still be talking about it as though it's an option, right? To look at it and go, well, yeah, we're going to close the gap a little bit more this year. (laughs) I understand that the gap is so large that it can't be closed in one year, and that is doubly shameful.
7: One, two, three...
1: Three things with Shanelie Vidal, and it is three things that have to do with transportation. Good morning, Shanelie.
5: Good morning, Brett. Good morning, Greg.
2: Good morning, Shanelie.
5: So the first thing about transportation um, is that, of course, we're seeing more and more airline passengers every year. More and more people are taking flights. That means there's more chances of witnessing or experiencing an in-flight emergency. So, as, so if you suffer some sort of medical emergency in flight, who do you turn for for help? Great question. Yeah. So if you're lucky, there's going to be an off-duty uh, physician or a nurse a few seats away. But here's the thing. With the exception of Quebec, there are no protocols in place in Canada regarding physicians coming to the assistance of emergencies in flight. What,
2: what, what does that mean exactly?
5: Well, it means many many doctors are left wondering what they can do if, should they attend to the medical needs of a, fed, of a fellow passenger. So now, that's why physicians at St. Michael's Hospital in Toronto, this is in partnership with Air Canada and WestJet, they've come up with recommendations for in-flight medical emergencies for healthcare professionals and how to deal with them. So some of those recommendations included in the report, discussed the resources available to medical personnel, how to approach certain medical problems, and who are the people that they can talk to and who they can consult with. Now, the has said that physicians are the primary responders in 40 to 50 percent of in-flight emergencies, followed by nurses and paramedics in 5 to 25 percent. However, flight attendants are the primary responders in 45 45- Percent of events. I'd
2: be curious to know that within those 45% of events where the flight attendants are the primary responders, if it was just because there were no medical mm-hmm. people on board the plane. It'd be interesting to know. Uh, my wife was on her way home from uh, Mexico on a flight and there was uh, an emergency on the plane and it looked like they might have to be diverted, which is one of the side effects of these emergencies quite often, is that they have to make an emergency landing, turn back or go somewhere where they weren't intended to go. This will be interesting to see some regulations around this. No,
5: absolutely. And and something too that's interesting I never thought of too as a flight attendant, that's that's a scenario that could happen.
2: Oh, that you absolutely! You could have
5: to, to 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 manage. Oh,
2: yeah! You you forget how many different scenarios flight attendants are trained for. Their training is is uh, quite extensive. In fact, I think we we don't appreciate uh, the work that goes into becoming a flight it's, attendant.
5: It's a hard job.
2: It
1: is.
5: So, are you ready for number two?
2: Let her
1: rip! This is
5: something. <laughs> this is something we've talked about on uh, the show a few times. It looks like the future is uh, just about here. So in California, new rules were approved on Monday regarding a technology that is quickly heading into the fast lane. Talking about driverless cars, Mm -hmm. they will be tested in the state for the first time without a person behind the steering wheel.
2: I don't know what they would have done yesterday in Sacramento when all that snow and hail and ice came down. Because I know that all the fancy automated stuff that I have on my car, lane departure technology and everything, is totally messed up with uh, snow on the ground. It doesn't recognize the, the lines and 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 it, mm. it automatically rumbles when it thinks I've, you know, departed my lane and sometimes the lane is artificially shrunk. So uh, I don't know what they would have done I don't know. in California How are they going to deal with the
5: unexpected uh, <laughs> right. things like that? And uh, I, I don't know, the whole thought of driverless cars makes me a little nervous. It's one thing for a driverless car to fly to, to, to Mars or the moon or wherever, <laughs> but uh, on our own streets... Uh, I makes me a little bit nervous.
2: I don't think driverless cars can be any worse drivers than human <laughs> drivers, so I'm not worried about <laughs> it at all. Actually.
5: So are you? Know, speaking of human, uh, are you ready for number three? Yes, please. Number three has to do with uh, my favorite mode of transportation, which is uh, walking.
2: Oh, yes. Uh, Brett mentioned this uh, before the news.
5: I like it because it's free. (laughs) Not because
2: it's good for you?
5: Oh, that too. Okay, that's better. (laughs) But a bad habit, and many of us have this, we're walking... And we're on our phones. Uh, you know, maybe we're texting or, you know, we're looking at emails or we're flipping through our Spotify lists and we're distracted. Mm-hmm. And so there are laws against texting and driving. And in some places, there are actually now laws against texting and walking. Okay. <laughs> we knew
2: Honolulu was doing this. Yes,
5: Honolulu, uh, I believe, started this uh, last year. Now, a second American city is going to start issuing tickets to distracted drivers because people don't they don't pay attention when they're, they're stopped at those traffic lights at the crosswalks. So now they're going to be issuing fines for pedestrians who don't do that and they could be paying up to $100 US. Wow. Yeah. And it's funny cuz I'm I'm expected to go to Honolulu in a couple of months. Uh-huh. And uh and so I'm like, yes, mentally no, make sure you're following the law. Make cuz make sure you're not doing anything bad. Make sure you're not texting and driving.
2: What is flaw? Not
5: texting and driving, sorry, texting and walking. What
2: is flaw in, uh, in in Hawaiian? You'll have to find out what that, that <laughs> means. <laughs> so it's Montclair, Southern California. I'm trying That's to think right. where Montclair is in my head. I know Southern California quite well. Uh, uh, Brett, you do some Google foo flu- flu for us? Find out where Montclair is?
1: Yeah, looking it up right now. Montclair is... This is a city in the Pomona Valley in southwestern San Bernardino County. And uh, just as I zoom out of the... Just
2: kind of east of Los Angeles then?
1: Yeah, there's... Uh, it's between Pomona and Rancho
2: Cucamonga. Ah yes, the good old <laughs> Rancho Cucamonga. <laughs> and, and, and. When you see the exit for Rancho Rancho Cucamonga on the Interstate 5 if you're driving from the north, you know you're just about at Los Angeles. It's a welcome sight.
5: And and who knows, we could be seeing this uh, this take off and expand to more cities. Even right here in Canada, I know the other day I was driving and and you know, stopped at Osborne, a girl crossing the street looking down at her phone and I, I'm just shaking my head because you know, it's super dangerous and you have to really watch out wherever you're going, whether you're a driver or a pedestrian. Let's
2: see it every single day. Thank you, Chanelie. Every single day, it's three things at 8.07. Tuesday morning, almost said Thursday. Just because I want it to be Thursday doesn't mean it is. budget day in Canada. We will keep you up to date on uh, all the rumored additions to the budget. And uh, when it is uh, laid out by the federal government, we'll have all the reaction right here on 680 CJOB. In the meantime, uh, we told you yesterday that Kevin Smith, the the director star of clerks uh, would clerks be Kevin Smith's most famous work. Oh, yeah. Like yeah. by far, right? Yep. Clerks
1: and uh, and being known as uh, Silent Bob from Jay and Silent Bob. Mall rats. Yep. Mall yes. rats. That's right.
2: Okay. Just wanted to make sure that I wasn't characterizing him and uh, forgetting one of his uh, maybe major roles or something he's known for. Anyway, he's very outspoken. Uh, Turns out, very active on social media as well, when I opened up my Twitter yesterday, my Twitter feed yesterday, what do I see but a picture of Kevin Smith, a selfie, and he's in a hospital bed. He's suffered a massive heart attack, and uh, his life was saved uh, by cardiac surgery, and uh, he was sharing a story, as he often does.
1: Yeah, he had uh, what's known as the Widowmaker heart attack. He said he had 100% blockage, but uh, he was saved, and that's great. Um, Chris Pratt, who is the star of the Guardians of the Galaxy films, if you've not seen those, you might remember him from Parks and Rec. Uh, big popular star. She was in Jurassic Kingdom, or Jurassic World, pardon me, the, the sequel is Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom. Uh, one of our colleagues, in fact, has Chris Pratt on, uh, their desktop over on our sales side, in fact. So he's a popular guy. His influence is everywhere. And he... Of course he faced a backlash. This is why Kelly Moore describes it as un-social media. This is one of the reasons why I'm actually not even on Twitter. Because you can't say anything on Twitter without being met with some sort of a backlash. And I'm getting so tired of finding headlines. uh, Backlash for tweeting this or having to defend that for the dumbest things. Chris Pratt tweeted a series of thoughts towards... Kevin Smith, following the news of the heart attack, and he says, Kevin, we don't know each other, too good, but I have loved you since Clerks, and I'm praying for you because I believe in the healing power of prayer. Can you please pray with me, people? In a second tweet, he says, praying for you, I will continue to. You inspired me with Clerks when I was a senior in high school. I'm tagging my football coach who showed me the movie because he believed in me and knew I'd be inspired Okay, so that's pretty cool. The movie Clerks inspired Pratt to get into acting. His football coach showed him the movie, thinking they would kind of put him on a path. And he sends sends Kevin Smith his love and prayers.
2: From afar, doesn't know him very well. He's not in the hospital room. Can't be there as a physical support or a sounding board or to get him a cup of coffee or to bring him flowers. Yeah, he's simply sending his support and... Surprise, surprise, he gets backlash on Twitter. Dora B,
1: at Pandora's Box 95, tweets at Chris Pratt, Prayer does nothing, only doctors and nurses. And how healthy he is will save Smith. Sending him encouragement might boost his mood and aid in the healing process.
2: Wow, isn't that enough? Isn't that enough? I thought that was the whole point. Right? Send him positivity, man. You know, for as much as we've learned about science and the things that they can do with uh, microtechnology and to save people's lives that have had heart attacks and survivability and everything... They also are learning a lot about holistic care and how it, critical it is to have your family and love and support around you when you're recuperating yep. from something like this. And, and I don't know who this Dora B is either, but you know what? Is some sort of humanist or something that you don't uh, like you're clearly not. That you don't understand. That you can send someone love and support. Send them their prayers. If that works for you, why is it anybody? Why is it anybody saying anything?
1: Well, and I think what's happening here is many. Ha- it's kind of a, a throw or a callback to the argument that many have used in the wake of mass shootings, telling politicians that thoughts and prayers are not enough. Okay, that's fine because the if a politician says our thoughts and prayers, still that's a nice thought but politicians actually have the power to do something Correct. about it. Correct. So in that context I can sort of understand why people get angry. But we're talking about an actor here who just wants to express a happy positive thought and give him a shot in the arm for oh, a virtual yeah, yeah, yeah. shot in the arm. Retro Bigfoot says that's cool and everything but doctors and nurses save lives, not prayer. Again, Whether or not you subscribe to prayer is irrelevant. And actually his director from Guardians of the Galaxy, James Gunn, jumped to his defense. And he sort of, he said, I'm not tweeting this to defend Chris. He's a big boy and can take care of himself. But for me personally, prayer and meditation are great boons to my life and help me navigate my way through this world. I don't want to dissuade others who find those things useful. Doesn't mean you need to pray. I don't think you need to pray. There are many ways to navigate this life. Mine is only one of them. Prayer isn't for everyone, but in the face of helplessness, it's often meant as an acknowledgement that one
2: cares. You know, the work I do at St. Boniface Hospital, at the Research Foundation, and at the hospital. I am blown away by how many uh, successful researchers and scientists combine their work along with a healthy respect and a big, and having religion and prayer be a big part of their life. This just angers me yeah it's, lack of respect we have for one another I know can
1: you just say hey he wanted to say something nice and that's all but I know stop the presses there
2: are idiots on the internet <laughs> fair enough <laughs> this you know this once again crosses another threshold for me you can't even express uh some concern and uh your wish that someone get better in a certain fashion and people are are all over you give me a break
1: Um, we have been waiting on the line for a friend of ours, Global News Senior National Affairs Correspondent Eric Sorensen. He now joins us live on 680 CJOB to talk about what we could see in today's federal budget. And Mr. Sorensen, one of the major parts of this afternoon's federal budget is expected to be a Pharmacare plan. What can you tell us about that?
4: Yeah, that's, uh, that's the thing that has come up just in the last 24 hours. Uh, at this time yesterday morning, we were mostly talking about gender equity and some of those plans that are expected to be woven through the budget. But, um, uh, and the funny thing about Pharmacare is it's not really going to be in there in any you know, specific way. There will not be any money really set aside for it. Uh, but they have announced that the um, uh, Ontario Health Minister, Eric Hoskins, is going to front this uh, advisory group. And it will report back in time for the next federal budget for a national pharmacare program. There's something kind of like it in Ontario now that, um, uh, that Ontario just brought in. So that's why Hoskins uh, is a natural for, uh, for kind of surveying the rest of the country on this. And in that they, they, they uh, now permit anyone up to the age of 25 to have um, access to drugs without cost uh, to about three, 4,000 different drugs. And the idea now would be to look at putting in a national program to uh, deal with sort of the, the drug costs that uh, that sometimes people face that can be pretty enormous. And so it doesn't start now. It starts next year. And I guess what you can look at is that they're getting now, instead of dealing with the promises from 2015, they're now beginning to pivot towards the promises for the next election campaign because next year's budget will be the pre-election budget.
2: Eric, and I almost cut you off there because I think that that's what folks are looking at. Uh, One of the biggest promises made by the Liberals when they were running to become the government was the fact that they would, yes, spend some money now, and uh, pardon the editorization, uh, the balance would uh, balance itself by 2019. Here we are on the doorstep of 2019, uh, no budget uh, balancing in, in, in sight.
4: No. Uh, and in fact, I've spoken with uh, uh, one senior economist who said that he expects the five-year plan, even for going forward from now, will continue to run deficits because they now view deficits as not being uh, such a bad thing, that they, they 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 pin it more on the the debt-to-GDP ratio. And as long as that is trending downward, they're just not going to worry about deficits. At the same time, they will continue to have the deficit go down. So I expect we may see a lower deficit number—it's been in sort of the high teens, uh, billions of dollars um, from last year. Uh, perhaps that will be down by a few billion this year, and maybe a little bit more so next year to show Canadians that they're on the right track. But but by running deficits, it also gives them just that much more money to spend on programs, and as you know, this is what liberal liberal governments <laughs> live on when uh, when it comes to uh, promising. Uh, going into an election. They're not the party that says we're going to cut spending. We're the ones that are going to deliver programs.
1: Global National is Eric Sorensen, thank you very much for joining us this morning on CJOB.
2: Greg Mackling, Brett McGarry with you until 10 o'clock this morning. We welcome to the studio now Dr. Roland Sawatsky, he's curator of history for the Manitoba Museum. He's here to tell us about a unique exhibit that's arrived at the Manitoba Museum. It's called Unlocked. Stories of the Interlake, the traveling trunk exhibit is the result of a collaboration among 10, ten pardon me, interlake museums. Sounds fascinating. Dr. Swatsky, thanks for taking time with us. Great to be here. So 10
1: stories, one from each of the participating
9: museums. How did this uh, come into being, this exhibit? Well, I think uh, that these institutions wanted to get together and really showcase uh, the deep history, the importance of the settlements of, uh, of the interlake.
1: So how do you pick just one, one? because for example, the picture that's on the news release here, I'm not sure which region it's from, and I know you, uh, I think you alluded that you weren't entirely familiar with this one. Cream truck day uh, is what it says, which uh, it looks cool, looks like there's an old jug here or something, but how do you... Pick just one thing to showcase for your region.
9: <laughs> well, I mean, that's the job of any museum is to is to highlight certain stories, certain objects that get a message across. Because every museum has tons of artifacts, you know, sometimes thousands, sometimes millions. Uh, and you have to make those tough choices and say, okay, this is what we want people to know about our area, about our group of people here, about our history.
2: So talk a little bit about the Interlake, that area between... The western shore of Lake Winnipeg, the eastern shore of Lake Manitoba, mm-hmm. and its role in our history as a province—we're accused of having perimeteritis from time to time—and mm-hmm. uh, we've tried to break out of that. We do a weekly small town salute and try to pay attention to what's going on outside our city. But that part of the province—I uh, always refer to it as a great rock farming country—but <laughs> is really it <laughs> has really become an integral and very important part of the overall uh, fabric, not only of our culture but of our part of our economy.
9: Mm -hmm. And it was um, first settled uh, by Europeans uh, beginning in the 1870s. Everybody knows the story of the Icelanders who came there, but there were many other groups as well. Um, But it really was pretty tough going for a lot of those uh, settlers uh, in terms of um, getting enough food and even starting farming uh, tough, tough winters early on. Uh, And it really kind of was marginal in many, many senses in in terms of the commodities that you could get out of there. But people did teach themselves and learn how to fish. Um, you know, a lot of the early uh, early settlers were helped by uh, the First Nations groups there with, with food. I know that it was, uh, the Salto were instrumental in saving at least 35 Icelandic families from starvation there. Um, and so slowly, slowly they built up um, a life uh, there for many generations. and. Um, but it always kind of remained isolated really until until the 60s the 1960s when the, a big push was made to get roads and and all kinds of other contacts in there and now it's in a fully integrated part of the province
2: i mean you had to be tough people to live and to thrive in the mm-hmm. interlake. I mentioned off-air that my great-great-grandfather, his first chunk of land was near H- Husevic, And after mm-hmm. two years, he handed it back and they gave him another chunk of land because it was such tough going.
9: Yeah, it was, it was a tough haul for a lot of people. Um, and I know there's also, you know, there were some diseases early on. There was a smallpox epidemic that came through and, and ravaged some of these communities too. Sometimes it must have felt like they had everything going against them.
1: There, I understand there are ten stories, but only nine
9: trunks. Mm-hmm. What's the tenth story? The tenth story is actually, it's a, it's a little replica desk, and that's a really interesting one. That's from the New Iceland Heritage Museum in Gimli, and uh, it's about a gentleman who saw a need among, uh, among Icelanders for a new home. <clears throat> there was uh, something of a famine going on in Iceland at the time, and he uh, said, let's, let's try bringing them here. And uh, when they came to uh, what's now Gimli in that region, um, they realized right away that fishing might be something that they could get into. Um, But freshwater fishing isn't something that they had really tried before. So he set up a competition for them. Um, But he's got a really interesting backstory because he was born in the Caribbean, this fellow. And uh, he has a very interesting story, uh, almost a secret past from there. Um, which I'm not going to tell you. have to come to the museum <laughs> and find
1: out. <laughs> We're talking about Unlocked, Stories of the Interlake. It's a traveling trunk exhibit, and it's made its way to the Manitoba Museum. Our guest is Dr. Roland Sawatsky, curator of history in studio. And Dr. Sawatsky, I think one of the good things about this exhibit is that it's very its hands-on.
9: It's interactive. Yeah, a lot of those uh, artifacts and, and specimens uh, are available to touch. You, you can touch them. You can see what they feel like. Uh, my favorite is oakum. Uh, do you know what oakum is? No, I oh, know right. what oakum is. But uh, <laughs> what is oakum? <laughs> oakum is uh, it's like a it's a hemp fiber that's soaked in tar, and uh, it, don't worry, it's not like wet with tar or anything. But it's uh, it's used for um, caulking uh, boats and okay. uh, and the chinks between the the planks underneath sure. the, the ships, and. Uh, and I always wondered what that stuff was. And here you can see it, you can touch it, and it's really strange. How do you spell oakum? O-A-K-U-M.
2: Okay, I'm just looking it up. Uh, okay. So if we were in the script spelling bee, uh Dr. Swatsky would be moving <laughs> on to the next round. Uh, can you, do you have an origin? Uh, you already gave us the definition. And fascinating stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Because... Th- the resilience of the people we mentioned mm-hmm. uh, before we took the break for the news of the folks in this uh, part of our province. I mean, mm-hmm. le- let's face it. I mean, you're in the middle of nowhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, building materials are scarce. We've been to the Manitoba Museum as kids and maybe as adults with uh, with our kids. And we've seen the Saudis, uh, sod houses that were built. Uh,
9: were those even practical in the interlakes? Were Saudis uh, an option? Uh, they might have been an option in some areas in the south, uh, and, uh, you know, they were practical usually for about one season, and then they would start falling apart, uh, and then people would either quickly try and repair them in the springtime when, you know, the flood was coming through the roof, or they would have been building something more substantial with logs. Oh, but, you know, it, the, the point you make is really is really important, that, that it was tough going for a lot of these people, and, and we have to admire that. And I really appreciate the work that these ten museums and interpretive centers have done in keeping that history alive. Because, you know, we're at the Manitoba Museum here in Winnipeg. It's a big museum. We can tell a lot of stories, but we can't tell them all. And to have that history still available in those original communities, I think is really important, and they should get a lot of congratulations for that.
1: Well, I mean, how many people have cabins within an hour under an hour mm-hmm. outside of Winnipeg, and it's because of the efforts of these folks that uh, these museums are celebrating. And one of the stories here, which just made me raise an eyebrow details of the last bank robbery carried out on horseback. <laughs> it yeah.
9: sounds exciting. That was exciting. <laughs> uh, a couple fellows uh, robbed a bank and then went to a livery barn, stole some horses and a sled because it was, or a sleigh because it was winter, and they took off, and a truck chased them down but got stuck in the snow, and they made, made, uh, made their way out of there. Um, and then the RCMP got involved and chased them down. Um, but it was night, and they lost them. And then the next morning, they went out again. They found the sleigh that was stuck in the snow somewhere, or turned over, um, and then they had to track them down, but their, their footprints were all blown away. But eventually, they found them in, um, in a barn in Moosehorn, Um, And when they got there, one of the guys shot himself. Oh, my. And the other guy gave himself up and and got 10 years in jail and 10 lashes. This is in the (laughs) 1930s. Lashes.
2: Still, yeah,
9: lashes were still a thing. I think the lashes might be worse than the,
2: than the prison time. Although the, I'm sure the prisons were uh, nothing to write home about, uh, even then. Right. So, so pretty exciting story. Well, and th- this is the thing: these stories uh, are what bind us, right? And mm-hmm. when just and it, and it, so is it one story per region? Is that is that how yeah, it, that's it's how been they, sorted out?
9: That's how they did it: one story per region, um, and a couple of them are natural history places as well: uh, Oak Hammock Marsh and uh, and the quarry um, interpretive center there as well. So you've got fossils and, uh, and you get to learn how the marsh works as sort of a great sponge and, uh, and a filter for, for the province, um, and the sort of the efforts of people in the 1970s to restore some of the wetlands. It's really great.
1: I'm just looking here. The museum has collected and protects over 2.8 million artifacts and specimens, uh, since you're the curator of history, do you have to know what all 2.8 million of those things are? Yes.
9: No, I don't.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I believe them! <laughs> I really did. Uh, you know, with the with the Canadian Museum for Human Rights and Lore Fort Gary, you mentioned Okamak Marsh mm-hmm. and some of the other smaller museums. Uh, Fort Is it Fort Lorraine out in uh, portage La prairie uh, Out in Austin, they've mm-hmm. got a great museum. You've got Morden. Like... There's lots of things, lots of places. We've got spring break coming up, mm-hmm. lots of great places to take your kids. My kids love coming to Manitoba Museum and they love to go to Okehammock Marsh. Like when you talk about a staycation, we've really got lots of options now in Manitoba to, mm-hmm. to educate and to learn about our history.
9: Yeah, and in all directions too east, south, northwest. There are places to visit. Um, which give you both a sense of the natural history of our province, which is which is fascinating, and also, of course, the human history. Dr. Sawatsky just
1: gave us a story about uh, two guys who were on the lam, and we actually have some breaking news from RCMP in Manitoba about the two escaped Stony Mountain inmates who were on the lam. They had they were located in the Osborne. Area of Winnipeg and arrested without incident this morning. So they will face charge of unlawfully at large and will return into the custody. Or into custody at Stony Mountain.
2: So how about that? Stony Mountain would be considered just the beginning, the southern tip of the Interlake, too, right? That's right. So we uh, we are combining it all here. That even the news is working with us on this topic. I want to read uh, real quick a short text message from a loyal listener, Len. He says, "Oakum was also used in building log cabins. It comes in long rolls, about one inch thick. They would stick it in between the logs to prevent the elements of Mother Nature from coming in." Years and years ago. They made it from moss and horsehair. Great topic. Regards, Len. So, Dr. Sawatsky, before we let you go here,
1: uh, talking about Unlocked Stories of the Interlake, which, by the way, is free with your admission into the museum, and it runs until October. Another exhibit uh, that you're excited about uh, that we've uh, talked about as well, but I uh, wanted to check with you. How's Snapshots?
9: Yeah, Do Snapshots is is really fantastic. Um, it features a number of large-scale photographs in Alloway Hall, Uh, about the history of Canada. And, you know, it's a complicated history, sometimes a tragic history, sometimes inspiring, and it gets into all of those topics in a really, really deep way.
2: Well, I have always been of the belief everyone has a story and every one of those photos has a story or more, one or more stories behind it. So uh, good on you for bringing in uh, such a powerful exhibit and looking forward to Unlock Stories of the Interlake Traveling Trunk Exhibit Journeys at uh, the Manitoba Museum. Thanks for this.
1: No problem. Thanks to behind-the-glass Jerry, Shadalit Vidal. I'm Brett McGarry. He's Greg Mackling. Thank you for listening to 680 CJOB. (laughs) we <laughs>